We're going to teach on confidence in prayer today. That's the title of the message. And if you would turn to 1 John 5. Well, let's go before the Lord with the word of prayer. And Father, I just ask that the Lord Jesus Christ will be magnified and that we can put our total faith and trust in him and in you. And that we can know that if we ask anything, Lord, as we'll see, according to your will, you'll hear us and that you'll be faithful to us. And that we can have the petitions we desired from you. And I thank you that you'll show us that clearly today and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we read our text, there's an example of prayer I'd like to give. The Dallas Theological Seminary was founded in 1924. It is proven to be, there's been a lot of godly men, a lot of good things have come out of Dallas. But when it first started, it was going into bankruptcy at one point. And it's within its first year, and the creditors had decided on this day we're going to foreclose on that bank. So some of these great godly men gathered in the president's office to pray that somehow God would intervene, somehow God would provide. And there was a fairly famous man, Harry Ironside. Some of you may have heard of him. And he was one of those guys that had that way of praying. There was guys like that at the seminary. We had some of these professors that, that would pray before class, and some of them were just characters in the way they would pray. And it'd be like, wow, they'd bring you into the presence of God, but not in the way we're used to here anyway. So that's the way Harry was. Harry gets on his knees and he says, Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. He says, please sell some of them and send us the money. <laughs> that was his prayer. And so while they're praying, this is a true story. While they're praying, this tall Texan walks in there in the business office, tells the secretary, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth, and I've been trying to make a business deal go through, and it won't work. And he says, I believe God is compelling me to bring this check to the seminary. He says, I don't know if you need it or not, but here it is hands it to the secretary, and she's like, she knows what these guys are in there praying. So she walks up, and she's timidly knocking on the door. So it took them a while to finally come answer the door, so she hands the check to Louis Schaefer, another famous man. Takes the check out of her hand. He looks at it. It was for the exact amount of the debt. And he goes in there and looks at Harry Ironside, and he says, Harry, God sold the cattle. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, but that's the way God does things. So we're saying if it's his will, and that seminary has been his will, he will provide, and we can have that confidence, and that's what we're going to talk about today, confidence in prayer. So if we know everything is right between ourselves and the Lord, we can know that he will answer our petitions. Now, there are certain conditions that have to be met, and one of them is, one of the main ones is, God is not a genie, is he? He's not some Aladdin's genie, just do whatever you want and... It's got to be according to his will, because you can pray. If it's not according to his will, you're going to get a no. Nothing's going to happen. He just won't answer. But when we know that we've done that, prayed according to his will, the Bible, we'll see today, it clearly teaches. We can have absolute assurance that the answer is on the way. Absolute assurance, no doubt about it. And so we'll look here. Let's start reading in 1 John 5, beginning in verse 13. And John writes this, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, if you could just bear with me briefly, I hope it's not bearing with me, but I'd briefly like to just go through some of the verses leading up to verse 13. 
And verses 6 to 12, I'm not going into detail about this, but they tell us that God has given us certain historical evidences, testimonies, or witnesses to the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ became a man, was baptized, was crucified, and rose from the dead. And the witnesses to these events are in verse 6. It says, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. He says, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth. And look at verse 8. It says, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And it says, and these three things agree. So I don't want to bog down. I'm kind of just trying to get through something here, okay? It could make a whole teaching out of this. But I believe the water, when it says he came by water, it's talking about his baptism. And then when it talks about the blood, it's talking about his crucifixion, his death on the cross. And the third witness that we read about there in those two verses is the Holy Spirit. And he witnessed to the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he witness? He came visibly at his baptism in the form of a dove, didn't he? And he also, it says, he witnesses within us about that the Lord Jesus Christ is real. Amen? Amen. And he also witnesses through the preaching that happened, his conviction that happened on the day of Pentecost. That was a tremendous witness. Speaking in tongues, what's going on here? And they started preaching. I mean, thousands are converted. What a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. That's the other way. It's by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power. It says in Romans 1, he was raised from the dead. And then we come to, there is another witness, and that is the witness of God the Father, verse 9. And it says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God the Father is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. Well, so let me ask you, how did the Father give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ? He was there at that baptism too, wasn't he? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when the crucifixion happened, what was the witness? Darkness covered the entire earth for three hours in the middle of the day. Utter darkness. An earthquake happened. Rocks were split open. Tombs were opened and the dead were raised from that. The veil in the temple supernaturally rent in two from top to bottom. And the father also testified of his son through the resurrection. So that's how all this testimony took place. And John goes on to say that if we don't believe the witness that God has given us, it's such overwhelming evidence. That's what it's overwhelming evidence in the New Testament. He says, we're calling God a liar. And that's what it says in verse 10. It says, he that believeth on the Son of God, he'll have this witness in himself. But it says, he that believes not God has done what? Has made him a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. And the record that God has given of his son is that he has given us a free gift that we didn't deserve. It's called an unspeakable gift by Paul. And he says in that son, that record tells us that through that free gift that we have life. Not only life, literally it says in the Greek, the life. In other words, there is no other life. No other religion can give you life. He is the life. And that's the record that God has given us. Look in verse 11 and 12. It says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that has not the son of God has not life. And what's the opposite of that? It's not good. 
So he that has a son. So let me ask you, what does it mean? I've talked about this before. What does it mean to have the son? Well, I like the way one man explained it. And he said this. He says, when you say, I have a dollar, I have a lawyer, or I have a cold, what do all of those things have in common when you have them? They do something for you. So if you got a dollar, I guess you can. I don't know where we're at now. I guess you can go buy a pack of gum. If you have a cold, it does something for you. Your nose is going to run. And if you have a lawyer, you're broke. No, that's not it. No. If you have a lawyer, he'll represent you in court. So if you have the son, he does something for you, doesn't he? Everything, when you have the son, everything he promises in his word, he'll forgive you. He'll protect you. He'll heal you, free you from sin. He'll always be with you. When you have the son, he does something for you. And how do you have him? You just simply reach out by faith and receive the gift that he's given. He's a gift that's offered by the Heavenly Father. You just receive that offer. We don't accept it. That's demeaning. We receive what God has offered and trust that the one you have, the one you receive by faith, by simple faith, that he'll do for you, in you, and through you what he's promised to do. That's what it means to have the Son. It's a great thing. Just accepting the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ to do everything that he says he'll do for you and what he promises. And you just cast yourself on him as your Savior and Lord in simple obedience. It's not difficult. It's not hard. And when you trust him in that way, what is John saying here? When you trust him in that simple way, he says, you then have life. Isn't that what it says? That's the record that God has given. That's what God Almighty has said. You have life, eternal life. And he says you can bank on it. Because he's not a liar, is he? Not a man that he should lie. So if he says something like that, we know we can trust him. So verse 13, he says this. And really, this is the purpose, this whole letter. We're not going through it today, obviously, but it would be good to at some time, and we will. But it says, these things, John says, verse 13, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. And why? Why has he written this whole letter? We're coming into the end of it. He says that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so that is why he's written this entire letter. So the gospel of John was written for unregenerates, that they might see the Lord Jesus Christ and put their trust in him and be saved. But 1 John is written to those that have already done that. They've already trusted in Christ. They're already Christians. And it's written so that having believed and put our trust in him, we can have assurance, a knowing that our salvation is real. I don't want to get into everything here, but I just want to say this, and we'll get into what we're going to talk about with prayer. But when you read 1 John, and if you're somebody that's struggling, and a lot of people do with whether they're saved or not, he gives you the test. If you fail the test, then you might think, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm not a Christian. If you pass the test, it's given there to give you assurance. But the tests are there, and it's not going to do anybody any good to cheat on the test. Well, that's one test you don't want to cheat on. But just to summarize, there's three tests that he just keeps going back through this. And one of them is a test of doctrine. What do you believe about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is what it talks about. Is he the eternal son of God? Is he God? Did he become man, take on flesh and die? And just a quick four instance, if you just look over in chapter four in the first three verses there, 
just to show you, and he, and he does this in several other places. We'll just look at this one. But he says in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. And hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come of the flesh is of God. But every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come and even now is already in the world. So that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But let me just say, most cults, they deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny what we just read there. The second test that he gives here is a test of morality. So the question then is, do you live in known sin? Living in known sin is not the same as occasionally stumbling. There's a big difference in that. But John says, anyone who says they know God and yet keep not his commandments is a liar. That's the test, he says, and the truth is not in him. Later he says, he that does righteousness, he that does what is right, is right. Because he says, he that lives in sin, it uses the word sinneth, it's a present tense, and there's a debate on exactly what he means by that. But he that lives habitually in sin is of the devil, is what he says. And the third test is the test of love. You can tell whether you're a Christian or not. And he says, do you love others? He that hates his brother, John says, is a murderer. You have hatred in your heart towards someone else, and that manifests in a lot of ways, doesn't it? A lot of ways. But he says, he that hates his brother is a murderer, and he says, we know this, that no murderer has eternal life. If you're somebody that has hatred, unforgiveness, resentment, criticism, all the way that manifests, and that's the way you are, that doesn't mean you can't occasionally fall into that, but that's the way you are. You need to take a look in the mirror. And he says, how can you, if you see someone with a need, harden your heart against him and say that the love of God dwells in you? Isn't that what we had with the priest and the Pharisee when the man was attacked on the Jericho Road? They see this man in need, and they just harden their heart towards him. That man had come, that scribe had come to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? He's saying, you've got to be born again. And that's how he tells him that. You've got to have a heart that's changed, and it's demonstrated by how you look on the needs of others. That's how he's saying. He said, if you don't have the love of God dwelling in you, you don't know him because God is love. And if you're his child, you'll live in a sacrificial way like he does. But here's the thing I want to get to. So John says, if you pass the test, pass the test of this gospel, then you can know you have eternal life. And that's why he wrote the letter like we read there in verse 13. So what does all that mean? What I just said, what am I getting at? If we pass the test, if we have the Son, if we know we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying Him, then what do we know? What can we have an assurance of? That we are the children of God, that we are the sons of God, and God is our Heavenly Father. And when that is the case, that brings us into what we're going to talk about today. When God is your Heavenly Father and you're His child, then you have special privileges in prayer. Because God doesn't hear every prayer that's directed to heaven. What about the bumper stickers you read? Pray for God hears prayer. Is that really true? Do we think that's really true? Is that accurate? I mean, that sounds hardcore to say, hey, you know, your prayers are kind of a waste of time. But listen to this. Peter wrote this. He that will love life and see good days, 1 Peter 3, 
Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So his face, he's not hearing everybody's prayers, is he? We know that. The blind man in John 9 says, I know something. We all know something here in Israel that God hears not the prayer of sinners. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's just what the word says. But John here, he's going to give us some good news. Some good news with the sun shining today in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Because if we have the sun... And we should have the sun. We shouldn't be living in sin here. I should be looking at a group of people that that's what's true of. He says, then we have the Lord's ear. We do. His ear is open unto their prayer because our Heavenly Father is not hard of hearing. He's really not hard of hearing. He hears everything. But He perks up and gives special attention to His children when they begin to pray. They have His ear. And that's what we have here in verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatsoever we ask, then we can know something. That's like a seeing, a perceiving, an understanding. We can know, not wondering, not hoping. We can know that we have, past tense, the petitions that we desire of him. We got access to the Father. We do. It's a great thing. You know, this pastor is explaining to his son. He said, I'm going to tell you how the secretary here at the church screens my calls. Not me. I don't have a secretary. I don't have any of that. But God has got a big church, multi-church anyways. He says, so if your mom calls and I'm busy, the secretary finds out what I'm doing. She goes and tells your mom. Your mom decides whether it's worth interrupting me or not, depending on what she wants and what I'm doing. But he said to the son, he says, well, I'm going to tell you, if you call me, your call is going to be put right through. I want you to know you can call me anytime you want because he said, you're my son. So a few days later, the church secretary puts through a call from the pastor's son, gets that call. And the pastor says, hello, what can I do for you? And the son says, nothing, dad. He said, I just wanted to make sure I could actually get through that easily. <laughs> well, listen, we can, can't we? The world can't get through to the Heavenly Father, but we can because we're His children. And we can get through immediately. We can approach God, what we just saw here, with boldness, with confidence, and fearlessness, just like a child approaching their father. And we've talked about that before. So how does that happen, though? You know, there's aspects to this having this boldness. 1 John has back in chapter 3, if you look in chapter 3, verses 19 to 22, part of that boldness comes from knowing our hearts are right before him. 1 John 3, 19 to 22 says this, And hereby we know that we are of the truth. That's if you're showing love is what he's talking about. And we do that. We're loving other people. We can assure our hearts before him. He says in verse 20, For if our heart condemn us, so if your conscience is convicting you, he's saying God's greater than your heart. He put your heart, your conscience in you. If your conscience is telling you that, God's greater than that. He knows. That's what it's saying. He knows. You're not going to hide it from him. But if our heart condemns God's greater than our heart, he knows everything. But he says, beloved, he's speaking to him here. Beloved, this should be the case. He says, if our heart condemns us not, then we have what towards God? 
Confidence, that's the same word. That boldness, that assurance, that fearlessness. In verse 22, and it says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. There it is. That's a big, amazing promise, isn't it? Why, though, he says, because here's that obedience part. We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, does that mean sinless perfection like John Wesley would teach? That's not saying that at all, is it? It's just you've got a heart. Your heart is I'm wanting to obey the Lord. I'm not resisting what he's dealing with me about. Or when I hear his word, I'm saying I'm not going to do that. No, you're saying I want to please the Lord. And, And in doing that, many times we fail, don't we? And that's what we talked about that. That's what the blood is all about, that we can get washed and cleansed and come right back into his presence. But when we do that, when our hearts are right before God, you all tell me if you don't know, those of you that have walked with the Lord any time, when you know your heart's right and you get in the trial and there's a promise you need to get hold of, when your heart's right, you're like the old bulldog with the bone. You just get your jaw on that thing. You try to get that bone away from that bulldog. You can't do it. And I'm saying that's the way it is with us in God in prayer. When our heart's right, that's the way it works. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's what we're talking about here. This is the confidence, the boldness that we can have in him. Have you ever seen a cowardly lion? The only time I've ever seen one was before I got saved, and my kids have never seen this one, the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. And why was he cowardly? You know the story? He lost his heart. He was probably in sin. (laughs) So our boldness comes from what? What is our boldness? We just talked about it two weeks ago. I'm losing track here. It comes from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having therefore, brethren, Boldness, the same word again, boldness or confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about we can have our heart washed and sprinkled, our conscience. And that's what gives us that boldness, isn't it? No matter what, that's what gives us that confidence. That is how the cowardly lion should have found out. That's how you get your heart back right with the Lord and have that boldness, that fearlessness, (laughs) having it washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, this is the confidence, what does he say, that we have in whom? In him, not in ourselves, not in our faith, but in him, the almighty God. This is the confidence that we have in him. And that is important to remember whenever we're praying, whenever we're trusting in the Lord. He is the one that has to come through for us. It's nothing we have. It's not our willpower that's going to somehow make this work out. It's we're putting our faith and confidence in him. Jesus said, have faith in God. Isn't that what he said? Have faith in God and went on and gave Mark eleven twenty two 22 through 24. That's what that's all about. So what is this confidence? This, he says, is the confidence that we have in him. That our confidence is that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So our confidence, so once we have our life is right with the Lord, everything's under the blood of Jesus, then we come before the Lord with that confidence. And our confidence then is if we ask anything, anything that is his will that we need done in our life, it says he hears us. That's what it says. Asking according to God's will and his will is what he desires to do. And God 
do we not know this? Is he not able to do everything he desires? No limitations. Yeah. Here, I don't want to get into the Greek, but it says, if we ask. And that if, by the way this sentence is structured, it doesn't mean like if, like perhaps, or when it might happen. It's really the equivalent of saying whenever. Whenever. Think about it that way. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Not sometimes, but whenever we're asking according to his will, he hears us. That's right. That's a blessing. He hears us. Paying attention by listening is what that's saying there. We have his personal attention, like we've been saying. Like when we talked about in Malachi 3.16, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened. He got his attention, and it says, and he heard it. So just like when we talk to each other about the Lord, and he's listening in on that conversation, it's the same way when we have our hearts right, and we're praying according to his will. He is right down there listening to you when you're on your knees. You've got his undivided attention. God's the only one that can give millions and trillions of people undivided attention. We can't do that. Mm -mm. It's hard to have somebody's undivided attention when you're talking sometimes, isn't it? You see their eyes going here, there, and you know they're not with you at all. But not God. Oh, no. He hears. Ask anything according to his will. It says he hears us. Gets his attention, and it gets his attention with the idea he's going to do something about it. You ever had that where you're asking somebody, wherever it is behind a counter, some important person, and you need to get something done, and they're kind of looking, and you can't really tell, are you really hearing me? Are you really hearing what I'm trying to say? You know, and all of a sudden, they give you that look. They give you that look, and they say, I'll take care of it. And you know, hey, I had their attention. They heard me, and I know they will take care of it. It's done. And you know whatever it is you're asking, that person's going to get it done for me. You ever had that? And that's the way it is with the Lord. He said he's better than a person. Because he doesn't lie, he doesn't fail, he doesn't forget. He doesn't run across red tape. He is the red tape. And it's all been cut. So it says there, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Confidence we can have. Ask anything according to his will. He'll hurt us, he'll give us what we ask. So, for instance, is it God's will, because I know some in here don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that profess to be Christians, is it God's will for his children to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He says this, this is the promise, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? That's clearly his will. If you ask, you can have it. How much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And I would add, I know everyone doesn't agree with this, but with tongues. He's going to give it to you with tongues. I'm going to make one case for that, okay? Why I think tongues is important. It's not just something you do that doesn't really matter. There's a lot of reasons you could give. He that speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up. Why wouldn't you want that? God promises that. But also, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he quotes Isaiah 28, or what tongues are all about. And here's what it says in Isaiah 28. It says, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, speaking in tongues. And anybody that's done that, 
and had a going through a rough time, if you don't know that that gives you a refreshing and a rest like no other way that can happen, I don't know what to say. But I'm saying, why wouldn't you want that? Why would God not want to give you that? Amen. Stay and you're missing out. And I'd like to see you have it. And I believe, more importantly, the Lord would like to see any Christian that doesn't speak in tongues speak in tongues. Amen. Amen. That's what I think. What about is it God's will for us to be healed? Ask anything according to his will. You're like, oh, we already know that. Well, okay, you know it. But let's look at it in light of the promise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all thine iniquities and who heals all thy diseases. Ask anything according to his will. You know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know that you have that healing that you asked him for. It's clearly his will. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Couldn't be any clearer. Amen. That's what God will do. Is it God's will for you to be holy? Saying if we ask anything according to his will, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So young person, old person, any person, God's will is that you be holy. It's his will. He commands that you abstain from fornication. Pornea, pornography unmarried sex of any kind. Ask according to his will. If that's his will and you pray and ask him to help you to overcome that, you think he won't? He will. He'll give you the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome any uncleanness, any lust problem that you're having. That's what it's all about. And is it God's will to have wisdom? Talked about that, to know what to do, what to say, where to go, the wisdom in your life. James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men generously and abrades not. He says he'll give it to you. He wants to give you that wisdom that you need. So any situation you're in that you're like, man, I need divine wisdom. I'm not sure what to do. I could go the wrong way. We heard about that today. God says, I'll give it to you. He says, I'll give it to you generously and I won't get on your case for asking. So if we ask anything according to his will, giving wisdom, divine wisdom is his will. We can ask in faith, knowing that he'll do that for us as his children. And what about his love? Is it his will to know his love? Ephesians 3 says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. If you're struggling with that, with whether the Lord loves you or not, it's saying you can ask in faith and you can know that he'll let you know that. He'll let you know the depth of his love, the width, the height. More than we'll ever be able to comprehend, but you don't have to be without that knowledge. He wants to give that to you. <laughs> and we could go on and on and on. If you can find something, anything that God promises his children, then it is his will. 
and you can ask according to his will, he'll hear you and give you the answer. Verse 15, if we know that he hears us because we've asked according to his will, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. <laughs> One of the best illustrations I ever heard of 1 John 5, 14 and 15 was Bevington. I've, I've never forgot this illustration. I think it's one of the best ones that applies that verse. He's in Ironton, Ohio, I believe, and the Lord impresses him to go to Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm saying, I've been to Cleveland. Only God can impress you to go there. <laughs> Ain't nobody else. So the Lord wants him to go there and open this holiness mission. The problem is he doesn't have any money and he only knows one person in Cleveland. So he said, the first thing I got to do is I got to get still and pray down a mission. That's the way Bevington was. So he goes to Cleveland with no money. He's broke. He goes to the home with the one person he knows in Cleveland. He fasted and prayed for six days, and then they ordered him out of the house after six days. And he somehow managed to get that room to have his mission and began to clean it up. And this man comes along, comes in there, and he's like, well, what are you going to do, open a saloon? And Bevington's like, no, I'm going to open a holiness mission. And it says the guy's face brightened up, and he's smiling. He's like, well, great, you know. He says, when are you going to open up? And Bevington says, Saturday night, and it was Thursday. And he says, well, I guess you have your seats and all that. And Bevington says, well, they're not here, but we have them. And the guy's like, well, where are they? You know, he says, I've got time, and I've got a team, and I'll haul them here for you because it's expensive to get stuff hauled. I'll do it for free. And Bevington says, well, just give me your address and I'll let you know. And the guy's like, all right, I'll give you my address, but could you give me the address of the place you're staying? And Bevington gives it to him. So the guy stops by there and he talks to the wife of these people where he's staying. And he's like, what do you know about this man, Bevington? And she says, well, I really don't know anything about him. So he came here, a stranger, a little bit ago, said he knew my husband. We said, all right, we well, just wait till our husband gets home. When he came home, they're like, OK, we'll give you a room. He said he went in that room and went in there and they, she said he just groaned. She goes, I suppose he was praying. And about a week he came out, it went on for a week. She said it went on. It was an awful thing to hear. He said he wouldn't eat. And finally he comes out and says he's hungry and he wants to eat something. Well, that was this morning. And then he says he's going to tell us he's going to open up a mission this Saturday night. And the guys was listening to all this. He goes, well, I guess he's got a lot of money. Because he said he had chairs and organ and song books, but he wouldn't tell me where they were. He said, I could have hauled him this afternoon. And the woman's like, well, if he's got money, I'd like to know where he put it. Because my husband and I started worrying about this guy in the room. And when he left, we went through his suitcase and all his belongings. We couldn't find anything but 29 cents. So that's all the more money he's had. And the guy's like, well, I don't understand that. He told me he had chairs and, and everything for his mission. And she says, well, he sure is a funny fellow. She says, I don't understand him at all. So the man goes back to Bevington. Bevington's still there cleaning up that room. And he says, now my team's idle. He says, they're not doing anything. And he says, I could haul all that stuff here, those chairs and anything you need. And Bevington, at this point, he realizes, man, I'm going to have to tell this guy what's going on. So he quotes 1 John 5, 14 and 15 to the man. The guy's looking at it. He's like, I don't get it. The man knew nothing about faith, nothing about the Bible. And he's like, I thought you said you had those chairs. <laughs> and Bevington says, well, I do have them according to that verse. He said, I prayed through on them and expect them to be here for Saturday night. And the guy's like, no chairs in sight. They're not even around. He says, how can you do that? And Bevington says, why on the Bible? Could do it because God says so. And the guy just stood there puzzled. So it says Bevington just went on cleaning. Never told anybody about his needs. But by Saturday night, he had everything he asked for.
because the next day a man comes by, says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm opening up a holiness mission. He goes, well, I've got some benches and I'd be glad to bring them by if that would help you out. And old Bevington just said, well, if the Lord leads you to do that, I would be very glad. And that's what had happened. And the next day a woman comes by. What's going on here? Well, I got this holiness mission. She says, well, I have an organ I'd like to donate and I'd even be willing to play it. And Bevington says, well, send it on down. And so the next day here comes the organ with 40 good hymnals and the woman to play the organ. And so the mission went on. And that's the way it works. He prayed through. He knew that he was in God's will. So sometimes we have a promise. Bevington didn't have a promise for a mission hall to open up there. He had to spend six days to get the mind of the Lord. So sometimes you may have to do that. You may have to get before the Lord and fast and pray on who is my mate. Who is my mate going to be? But then when it comes, you'll know. And it's according to God's will, it'll happen. And you'll know it. So I thought this was interesting. Bevington, I had this highlighted in my Bevington book. He had this to say about the whole event. He says, so you see, when we get out of the way, God will work. And the reason he doesn't work is that we get in his way. Oh, to tuck ourselves in some corner and get out of the way, and then God will work. That's hard to do a lot of times, isn't it? Because you see, man, I've claimed this promise. I'm trusting on him and his divine power, but things just don't seem to be quite working out as fast. The money's not coming in. The healing's not manifesting. And then you want to get online and find out what it is I got. What can I do about this? It's just hard to get out of God's way sometimes. But what a great promise, isn't it? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 for his children. A great promise. Anything we pray about according to his will, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that when he hears us, we have the petition we desire. We're not waiting to get it. Do we understand that? We have the petition. It's already in the present tense. We have the answer. We're just waiting for it to be made visible. And that's what Mark eleven twenty four 24, that we've heard a million times. But still, it bears repeating what things soever you desire when you pray. That's when you receive the answer, isn't it? When you pray, believe that you have received it. And then it's the shall have it. But if you have something, how do you then not have it later? That's what faith is. Faith is saying, I prayed according to his will. I have it. It exists. It will be manifested. That's why it's important we have to know his will. Then we can have that kind of fearlessness, that kind of confidence. Isn't that what that verse is saying? This is the confidence, the fearlessness, the boldness. We don't have to be timid and wondering and trying to figure out what's my exit strategy. Amen? This is the confidence that we have in Him, Almighty God, what we've been going through in Mark. The Lord Jesus Christ with all of His power, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He did then, He'll do now. The confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, we just went through about seven things under His will. He hears us. He's hearkened to you. He's heard what you've said. Amen. And if you know that, if you have a knowing that that is the case, then you know that you have the petitions. You have it. How can it not happen then? Amen. That's right. That's right. Amen. I'm sorry, but that's what faith is. Preach it. It's having it. Knowing you have it. Hanging on to that. Doesn't matter what else happens. We have to go through Abraham having something that in the natural looked impossible, looked crazy, changed his name to Abraham, the father of nations. Every time he said that, people think he's crazy. And you're like, well, yeah, but that's Abraham. Abraham was a man just like us. 
Just like Elijah, it says, was a man, the same passions, the same weaknesses that we have. And yet he had a promise that it was going to rain. And it said he got on his knees before God and didn't give up. And the rain came. And that's given as an example. It's given as an example when we've got the promise of James 5, and he's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil and pray in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The whole context of that is Elijah. That promises the Lord will raise him up. And so what if he's not raised up immediately? Then it goes on to say, pray for one another that you may be healed. Intercede, press in like Bevington would do. It, it is going to happen because we don't feel a lot of times like we have great faith or we're worthy or all of those things. Right. And that's where we got to say our confidence is in him. Amen. That if we ask anything according to his will, what he desires to do, whenever we ask anything that he desires to do, we can trust he'll do it. Not because of us, but because of who he is. That's <laughs> who so we need to have our confidence in. So listen, the example Brother Hamilton used to use all the time, it really helped me out when I first moved here. And talking about faith, that it's like being given that sales ticket. When you go to the Sears store at Oxmoor, you're going to buy a washer. They give you that. That's what they do there. And they tell you, you go around back, pull your car back there, whatever you buy, a washer, TV. Shouldn't say that, right? Whatever. Get your new big screen TV. But you go back there, and that ticket's what you have. That This is my TV, like he always said. You don't have it in your car yet, but you go back there and they tell you, you give that ticket and it's going to all of a sudden, boom, then it's manifested. There it is. What you had by faith with the receipt, because of that, you paid for it. It's now yours by sight. Except here's the difference. The store could be sold out. One of these guys that works in these places, the way workers are anymore, could very well drop your TV by the time it's coming there. You get home and the thing might not work, but it is not like that with the Lord. You're not going to call on the Lord and he's going to say, look, we thought we had one back in the warehouse, but our records were wrong. <laughs> no, he's got unlimited supplies, doesn't he? He shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Limitless, limitless power. We, we've got to see that limitless power. And he always delivers on his promise. It always works, doesn't it? It's not going to be like a broken TV. You're not going to all of a sudden, well, Lord, you said you'd heal me, but it's, it doesn't work. No, it works. It works. Never drops his promises. They're all fulfilled. If we'll just hold on and remain faithful. Listen, we can trust the Lord. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm down in Shelbyville. Because it's in the Bible. And somebody was here teaching that. That we don't have to be afraid to trust the Lord. The message hasn't changed because, not because it's the quote unquote message, it's because the Bible doesn't change. Amen. That's right. That's <laughs> I mean, if you're down here following a message, y'all, we need to be following the Bible. If the message is in the Bible, then praise God. Amen. Don't let go of it. Amen. I don't care what anybody says. That's right. Amen? Amen? That's the way it works. So Solomon, he's in the temple. He's dedicating that magnificent temple that he made to the Lord. And it said he was on his knees with his hands in the air, praying for the nation of Israel before the altar of God. And when he was done, it said he stood up, just dedicated that temple front of the altar, praying to God in the sight of all of Israel. It said he stood up and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice. And here's what he said. Blessed be the Lord. 
that has given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. That's the God we serve right there. Not failed one promise. Now, some of them didn't make it and some of them failed, but it wasn't because God failed. Never because God fails. We can always put our trust in him. So let me just finish by saying we just need to find God's will for our needs. Make sure our hearts are right. It's presumptuous to have sin in your life and think a promise is going to work for you. Oh, we've got to have our hearts right. Amen. That's just basic Christianity right there. And he'll never fail us. Take that promise. First John 5, 14. That should be one everybody should have memorized and able to quote. That's a lifesaver right there. Isn't it, Brother Murphy? It's a lifesaver. Just remind him, hey, I'm just seeking your will. All I'm asking you to do is what you're saying you're willing to do for me. That's all I'm asking you, Lord. I'm trusting you to do that. I'm not trying to twist your arm or get something. I know you're not a genie. I'm just trying to do your will and see that done. And faith is only asking and expecting then, isn't it? Asking the Lord, it's just that simple. And as the song says, and many of us can say this, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that he is with me and he'll be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Sometimes that's what we need. We want to hold on to him. And sometimes we're like that man we talked about. Oh, I believe, Lord, I want to trust you. I see your glory and I want to have your presence in my life. Please help me. Give me grace to help me to hold on because sometimes it is like a little twig I'm holding on to and the current seems like it's pulling me away. Just he'll give you the grace to hold on to that twig. Amen. God is faithful. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the precious promise you've given us here in 1 John 5, 14 and 15 that we can know that if we ask according to your will, your ear is hearing us. You're right there with us hearing and telling us you have the answer that you've desired of me. And we thank you, Lord. I ask you'll impress that on all of our hearts. Encourage us to trust you more, Lord. And we need to pray for the grace to put more of our faith in you, Lord. I ask you'll grant that to all of us, that we can also come boldly to your throne to receive that grace to help in time of need. Amen. I ask you'll put it in all of our hearts here to seek you, Lord, and to seek you only as our provider, our healer, our righteousness, Everything we need, Lord, you are everything we need. You're all we need as we sing. And we thank you for being that kind of God and being here with us today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.